Let's jump into the message part. The message part. You know, I love that God's sovereign. Anybody believe that God's sovereign? Can I get a hearty amen? amen? Okay, that's a good Baptist amen. God is sovereign. That means he is in complete control and complete power, right? And part of God's sovereignty is that he's also good um, and wise and loving. And even for our morning message, he is that. You know, the interesting thing is, um, so I've come to you today with a little bit of a, um, here's, I did something great this morning, right? A couple things. One, I tried to get updated on the news report. I did a couple things, my usual Sunday morning. I get up, you know, go to the Lord, go to his word, start reviewing through my notes, right? Because I don't like to use my notes really a lot when I'm in the pulpit. I have them up here as a security blanket. Um, then I'll go throw whatever, you know, so this morning it's chicken, kind of warm up everything, get it ready for family meal. And then really cool thing I love about actually the, the food for, for family meal is it gives me a chance to kind of think about my people for a moment and just kind of pray over our time. So it's, I love this preparation that we have to do to prepare to meet. I think that's a really great thing. And, um, and, and then I had some, some snacks I was supposed to bring for the cubbies tonight that Cindy had laid out, right? So got the snacks, okay? They're in my office. So I was, I, I did the things, you know, and I wanted to listen to another news report this morning just to see what had happened overnight in Ukraine. So I kind of, you know, had the most up-to-date information. So did all those things, right? Nailed it. My plan. Although I forgot to do one important thing in all that this morning. I did not bring my notes to the sermon. <laughs> did not bring them. And uh, my whole family's not here. I couldn't send anybody back home. They're all sick this morning, as a lot of y'all kind of got sick families. It's kind of that season of the year. Uh, so uh, they're not here with me, but that's okay. You'll find out how much I really do use those notes, right? So we're going we're gonna to keep going with our emotions message. Uh, you'll... you'll We'll have an idea of how well did Nick prepare this morning. It's already in my soul. So um, let's, Daniel, could you take that outline? And you've kind of seen this outline so far, far, uh, what we've worked through in this outline. Uh, Let me do this. I want to just read through uh, this outline, and then we'll handle handle actually points 9 through 15 today. And here's my plan. 9 through 15 today of this outline then we're not done with it. I've got about two more messages. One, I want to look at emotions in the life of Jesus. And then I want to look at emotions in the life of Paul and other gospel writers. Um, so I want to take those two subject matters and I'll pretty much end this emotion series unless the, the Lord, there's some other itch that hasn't been scratched yet. Uh, we'll take a pause next week, uh, for next Sunday. Um, I have a special treat for you. Uh, I teach over at Mid-America, um, as, as many of you know, and one of my students um, is going to come and preach next week. I'll still be here with you. Um, but this brother, uh, it, you know, when I say student, he's my age, right? So um, this brother has an amazing salvation testimony, how God's grace came after him and how God had saved him by God's grace. And so um, this man's training for ministry. Uh, he's training for eldership in his church uh, in Mississippi. Um, but um, he's going to come and share with you. I thought it'd be a nice little break, and uh, man, I'm excited to hear him. Uh, you'll probably see this. Our elders had talked to me this past week about maybe bringing some of these uh, guys that I teach uh, at times at the seminary uh, just to come and preach for you guys, and so, uh, man, I'm excited about that. So, 
Well, today we're going to look at uh, 9 through 10 on this series. And if you want a title for today, it's Emotions and Biblical Change. Emotions and Biblical Change. Uh, we get to the point of this outline now, this outline that I've been sharing with you, that really we're getting to the kind of the change aspect, right? Although the whole thing is about change, but we're looking at some of the change aspect. If you take your Bibles and look at Ephesians, look at Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. We'll look a little bit at the process of change. As you get over to Ephesians 4, if you'll look at verse 22 through 24, Paul says to the Ephesian church, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. You've gotten some of the ideas of verse 22 in some of our former things that we've said here in our outline, okay? You've seen it when we talked about this idea in our outline about uh, number seven, our emotions are sin impacted and sin impaired. You saw it in number eight on our outline, our emotions are not always righteous, just, loving, and appropriate. You saw in verse 24 that you put on the new self. You put on the new self. And so you'll see today as we keep looking at this outline that that we actually can put on the new self in relation to emotions. We can control them. They don't have to be the central motivation of our life. We can walk in obedience because that's part of the renewed renewed mind. This is part of the new self. So he says in verse 23 that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and you put on the new self created in the likeness of God and in true righteousness. You'll see today some of the things we're to put on when it comes to Loving God and loving others. And so I'm just calling this message emotions and biblical change. So biblical change happens exactly as this verse talks. We put off the unrighteous thoughts and actions as we're being renewed in the spirit of our minds. We're being renewed by the word, the spirit, even God's people. And then we're putting on God's thoughts. We're putting on God's the actions that God wants. And that's the process of how biblical change happens. That's how a person actually changes. A person doesn't change by feelings, but your, our feelings, the feelings that come out of us, are a wonderful indicator of are we actually changing? Are we conforming to his image? How renewed is our mind actually becoming? So we're, we've looked at this thus far. We've looked at, I'll walk you through the outline real quick, and then we'll stop at nine. So number one, God has and expresses emotions. We've looked at that. Number two, God's emotions are righteous, holy, just, loving, and always appropriate. Number three, we are created in the image of God. Number four, we have emotions. These each kind of lead to each other. Number five, our emotions are the result of the attitude of our hearts. Number six, our emotions originate in our thoughts, and we are fully responsible for them. Our emotions, number seven, are sin-impacted and sin-impaired. Number eight, our emotions are not always righteous, just, loving, and appropriate. Now we start at number 9 through 15 today. So let's take a look at number 9. The key to our emotions is that they are to be God, what does it say? The key to our emotions are to be God honoring. Now take your text and look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. None of the scriptures I share with you today I think will be surprising scriptures. I think they're, they're all key scriptures, they're ones that you know well. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
That verse, verse 31, contextually what's going on behind the scenes here is basically you're, you're, eating, you're eating at someone's house and then you, it's discovered that that food has been offered to a pagan idol and there's another Christian there who knows that and points it out to you and it's, their conscience is weak and you as a Christian at that point, if it would offend a weaker brother, you would not partake of that meat because really all of life is about glorifying God and when we glorify God, it's about loving God and loving others. So if another brother would stumble in, in the earlier verses before this verse, in verse 31, you, you wouldn't eat meat because it's really, life is about actually glorifying God, which means you're going to put others before yourself. He says this in verse 32, he gives a nod to it, give no offense to the Jews or Greeks or the church of God when it came to this idea of what if a brother, what if a brother is eating food with you and he is, his conscience is, is not able to take eating meat offered to an, uh, to a pagan idol. You may see it as just meat, but he may see it as something else. So life is all about glorifying God. So he says in verse 31, so whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. So that's the eat and drink. It's actually talking in the text earlier about how to handle this kind of issue that was happening actually quite a bit. A lot of their food that they would eat actually would be secondhand food that was that was actually used at a pagan sacrifice. And so this was actually a um, this was actually something they had to kind of deal with quite a bit. But notice in verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, but now it gives us another category. Or what is that next word? Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So even emotions are to be done to the glory of God. Number nine, the key to our emotions is they are to be God-honoring. That's number nine on our outline. They are to be to the glory of God. Everything is about God's glory. So this whatsoever, by, by the way, this whatsoever um, that you say in verse 31, this, this can, I mean, that's a pretty broad category. That means as you drive to work, glorify God. What does that look like? Well, when you drive to work tomorrow or uh, or the opposite side, which is you dial into Zoom, right? However that's working for you right now. Are you thankful for the job that God has given you? Are you thankful for the ability to work? Are you thankful? For, are, you know, or are, you, are we thinking, I just don't know if I can take this anymore. Do you understand the difference? Like One is praising and thanking God. It's glorifying Him. The other is really focused on self. So everything is to be to the glory of God. When we go to school tomorrow, it's to be for the glory of God. How are we showing His glory in the way we attend class, in the way we study, in the way we do the best we can to the glory of God? How is this reflected in our fathering, and our mothering? How is this reflected in how we eat? We're not going to talk much about that. That would be too convicting. But how is this actually reflected in all of our lives? I'm preaching right now, okay? So stay away from my sin, all right? We'll just focus on yours. <laughs> And also, our emotions. Do our emotions reflect the glory of God in our lives? It's number nine. The key to our emotions is that they are to be God-honoring. Now, here's the thing. In the moment, it feels like it's really hard sometimes to control those emotions when they want to go sinful. You know, so I get the idea. You might be looking at number nine and going, fine, Nick. The key to our emotions is they are to be God-honoring. Got it. But man, when I get in the moment, I don't feel like it. Great. 
idea and thought. Let's look at number 10 then. That leads us to number 10. Number 10 is this idea of with God's help, we can control them. With God's help, we can control them. So we say this idea of with God's help. This means way ahead of time, if we're going to honor God with our emotions, it's not one of those things where we just arrive at in the moment and go, okay, God, now I'm going to honor you. You, there's some prep work we do ahead of time. I'll illustrate it this way. Um, it, when you start driving, okay, uh, or start driving even right now, you know there's something on a, a, a car called tires. Everybody ever heard of these tire things before? Did you know that you're supposed to balance and rotate these tires ever so often, right? You know, the, you know that recommendation isn't just because someone was bored and just wanted to put, you know, you know, you actually want to do that. Why is that? It makes them last longer. Uh, it also, you also, when you look at the tread of your tire, there's a certain point where, although the tire may be aired up and working, if that tread is getting a little bit thin and they and you get the warning of it, you, you should probably heed that and buy tires. And when you buy tires, I mean, honestly, you probably ought to buy really good tires, okay? Why would you buy tires that, that, that wouldn't be that, that great and effective? But here's the thing. On the road of life, emotions are going to hit us in the road of life. Pretend that the road is emotions, right? And we know this. At some point, at some point, we've, we're going to take that car, we're going to drive it down the road of emotions. Emotions are going to be hitting the, the tires of our life all over the place. But the people that can actually do the best with all those emotions, those that can actually honor God in the moment, those that actually, in number 10, can control them, are the ones that prepared way ahead of time. They got their tires rotated. They got them balanced. They put good tires. They're looking to make sure they got enough tread so that when the road of emotions in life happens, they're not leaving their, they're not leaving their tires to some subjectivity. Oh, hope I just, you know, they're, they're going to be able to stay in control when life hits them. So it's one of these things, if you're going to stay in control on the road of life of emotions, you've got to prepare the tires way ahead of time. You've got to make sure your tires are okay. You know, even what's ever interesting, uh, us kind of younger people, you know, say us younger people. I don't know if I can say that anymore, but um, some would consider me younger. It's all a matter of perspective, right? You know, uh, my generation doesn't check tires as much because everything's so digitized. There's usually these monitors inside of our car that will tell you if your, you know, if your, if your tires low. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right? You get that kind of look half circle with the exclamation point. If you ever get that, that doesn't mean your car is about to blow up. That just means that your tires are low, all right? That was free. But for an older generation, they didn't have that. And so what would be interesting, I would always see my grandpa, um, you would see this. They would, before they got in the car, they'd always do a walk around it, right? And what were they doing? They were just looking at the tires, make kind of inspection. Like, are these things, are these things looking good? Are they aired up? Are they okay? Why is that? Because they wanted to make sure that when you left, you'd be con- in control on the road. So here's the thing I think among followers of Jesus. Being able to come to the point of number nine, the key to our emotions is that they are to be God-honoring, and then number ten, with God's help, we can control them. That's not something that you prepare to do in the moment when you've not paid any attention to your tires and they just blow up and you lose control on the road. That's something that you've done the hard work and prep way ahead of time so that when you're ready, you can actually glorify God. When you're ready, you can 
control them. This means, this is why we need exposure to God's word. We need our mind renewed with God's word. We have got to think God's word, heavenly things. We've, we've got to take this continual focus on 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. That the word of God is there to show us what's right, what's wrong, how to get right, how to stay right. That we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That even means the emotions of our life. Emotions actually are done best when people have prepared themselves way ahead of time. When their view of God and what he thinks. I'll give you the best example. Take our current situation. If we have not built out this robust understanding that we fear God alone in him because he can destroy both body and soul. And we've, if we haven't come to this, that conclusion, then we will get very scared about every single news report. And, and here's how you'll know you're getting scared. You can't even listen to it anymore. Or you'll start to, you know, as you're dozing in life, like every thought, you know, every thought and worry and panic is what's going to happen. Well, those are just the natural emotions that are coming out in the moment of, of not building this robust trust in the Lord and fear of the Lord. And then what happens is bad things happen in life and then our emotions start to respond to it. But we prepare ahead of time. We prepare the tires of life way ahead of time. So number 10 with God's help, we can control them. We can control it. The Word, the Spirit, and His people are great ways that we prepare ahead of time to control these emotions and to actually be able to glorify God. This is why it's so essential that we gather together. It's so essential that well, you actually have conversations with people who love the Lord. We need to counsel each other. Just so you understand, if Nick's the only one counseling our people, that's not very effective the way God works things out. We actually counsel each other. We do. We need, to, we need to talk to each other. We need people to hear the thoughts that we're having. And then we need other believers in Christ to go, Brother, that's a great thought. Amen. Brother, can I give you a different perspective on that thought that you just gave me? Because that doesn't seem in line with Scripture. We, we've got to have that kind of robustness. We've got to have this idea of, of I, I won't eat physical food until I've actually had the bread of life. By the way, if you ever have wondered, like, man, Nick, tell me talk about reading God's Word, studying God's Word. I just, man, life is so busy. You know, one thing that I know will always happen, we're going to eat, all right? What if? If you're ever kind of like, man, how can I actually get dedicated to God's Word? I'll tell you what you do. Don't eat until you eat on His Word first. I'm, I know that sounds like, man, that is austere and you know, sounds so Puritan-esque. <laughs> you know, what, how rigid. You know, sometimes you just have to get rigid if your soul's not into it, right? That I have literally, in my life, there have been times where my desire for God, I wasn't coming to His Word out of delight. I, I wasn't even coming to it. So I would go, Lord, I need the bread of life before I need physical bread. You know, when Satan tempted, when Satan tempted Jesus and said, Turn these stones into bread. He says, man does not live by bread alone, but every what? Word that comes from the mouth of God. Yeah, we need physical bread, but we need heavenly bread more than we need anything, right? And so literally, I would have seasons of my life where I would go, I will not put bread in my mouth today until I have tasted of his bread. And before you know it, I was going to be in his word that day. You know, because I did want to eat, you know. 
I could, I could try to mask it with coffee as much as possible because it's kind of an appetite suppressant, right? But you'll eventually give in, okay, once the jitters hit. I'm just telling you, these are the tactics of, of my own soul in life. This leads us to number 11. Our emotions alone should not motivate us nor be the central focus of our life. Our emotions alone should not motivate us, nor be the central focus of our lives. Most of, if you, if you kind of look around at this idea of most of our conversations when we deal with difficult things, we'll start with, I feel like. Now I'm going to tell you, I don't think there's intrinsically something wrong with that. I just think you've got to back up and go back to number seven and eight on our outline when you say something like that. Whether you either got to think it or verbalize it. If you can't think it, verbalize it. Remember, seven and eight said that our emotions are sin impacted and sin impaired. And number eight, our emotions are not always righteous, just, loving, and appropriate. So when we use the, the statement of, I feel like, in the back of our mind, we better remember that we are fallen sinners. We are totally depraved. Depravity has touched every part of us. And we don't always have a perfect perspective. That doesn't mean we have. flawed perspective, we're not 100% right. So we use that I feel statement. Somewhere in the back of our mind, we better be realizing that we may not be completely right in our feeling. Because our feelings are not always righteous, true, holy, and just like God's. Which means this, sometimes you may verbalize it. Hey, I could be wrong because I'm a sinner and don't have a perfect perspective. But I feel like when that was said... This is what was meant. But I actually could be wrong. If you can't think it in your soul and know it, then you may have to verbalize it the next time you talk about feelings. Feelings aren't bad to talk about. You just can't claim that they're actually a standard of truth. What's interesting about our culture is our culture years ago came to this idea of postmodernism where there was really no truth. What was truth? Now our culture has come to this idea that truth is whatever I feel. It is. It is. Truth is whatever I feel. And how dare anybody disagree with what I feel like because what I feel is the standard of truth. That is actually the way our culture works nowadays. You could, you could be in a conversation with somebody and then they could say something to the effect of something that you did that you didn't actually do or was different, but they felt like that's what, you, or, or they had this idea of something they thought you were thinking as you were communicating Although that's not, and you can warn them and say, brother, I had never, I was never thinking that when I communicated you. Well, that's what I felt like. Well, brother, that's not true. That's that's just not true. But we'll still hold culturally to the idea of, well, my feelings are, you know, my my feelings are, are, are pretty righteous. That's what we're actually saying. The truth is they're not. That's why, number 11, our emotions alone should not motivate us, nor be the central focus of our life. God gives us emotions. He has emotions. We, we, the way we respond to life, the way our emotions respond to life, reveals really what we think and believe about Him. But they're not to be the main motivator. Even this idea of, okay, if I'm going to obey God's commands... I've got to emotionally feel like I can obey. Like, do I even feel like obeying him? But I don't, if I don't feel like obeying God, should I still obey God? Yes. 
because our feelings are not the main motivator. Go back to Ephesians 4. We're going to spend a little time in this text just as we grapple with the rest of this outline. Y'all doing okay? Notice this. I talked to you in verse 23 through 25 of Ephesians 4 about the idea of, of what, how biblical change looks. But let's look at it in practice. Some great examples in verse 25 through 31. And, and we see clearly in this text this idea that, that emotions are not the central focus or motivator, nor or can we say that we can't control our emotions, nor that we can't actually glorify God with them. Look at the text. So verse 25. He just talked in verse, remember, 22 through 24 was put off the old self. It's corrupting deceitful desires. Renewed in the spirit of your mind by God's word, by God's spirit, by God's people. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Verse 24. Then put on the new self. Put off, renewed mind by the, by the word and the spirit. Then Put on the new self. Put off, put on, renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's the process of biblical change, right? And, some, and it's a process. It's a process. That's why in your marriages, in your life, when you're handling conflict with people, you should probably stop thinking that they should have immediate sanctification and really just look for progress. But don't measure progress of what you think it is. That's another, that's another topic. Verse 25. Look at this. Therefore... Put away falsehood. Does everybody see the put the put off? Does everybody see that? Therefore, he's given some great examples of this principle of biblical change. Therefore, put away falsehood, which would be lying, and let each of you speak the what? Truth with his neighbor, who remembers one of another. So what does biblical change look like? Your you twenty two through twenty four was put off, put on, renewed in the spirit of your mind. We see in verse twenty five the put off, the put on. Right? There's no, do I feel like not lying? It's, no, you don't lie. And the key to this is renewed in the spirit of your mind. Although he doesn't say the literal word, the whole text is pointing to this idea. This is how it's fleshed out. Look at verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. There is a righteous type of anger. Righteous anger is directed at something that's done against God or somebody else. Righteous anger isn't pointed towards yourself. Towards getting what you want. So be angry, but don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. So it's this idea of, man, you got to put off even anger. Don't If you don't put off anger, if you stew over it, let the sun go down on your anger. If you don't quick to forgive, you'll give opportunity to the devil. Now, you're, you may be thinking of, where is the put on? Well, you're going to get that in verse 31 later. Be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down in your anger. Anger is an emotion. Give no opportunity to the devil. Do you see here in the text of Scripture, talking about biblical change, he says, don't do it, don't give in to it. Which means this, we can control it, and we can honor God. The question is, do we have that renewed mind that will work in this? Are we, are we going to put off the ungodly thoughts and put on the godly thoughts? Right here it says, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. By the way, just a side note about anger, about emotions. You know, one of the strongest emotions I think we all struggle with is anger, is sinful anger. Or sometimes what could have been righteous anger turns into sinful anger. And it's really because we will stew over 
what someone has done to us all day long, and we will go to bed stewing over it. And I've heard this phrase, I don't feel like forgiving yet. Like, ah, I forgive him. I just don't feel like it. You know what the interesting thing is? You're going to see here in a minute in the text. That is not a category of scripture. So, uh, so hear me and hear me well. The thought and the idea of, I will forgive them when I feel like it. Not a biblical thought. I'll give it again. I will forgive them when I feel like it. Not a biblical thought. Not a biblical category. At the very end of this text, it actually talks about us forgiving as God in Christ Jesus forgives us. Now that's the obedient standard. But not our feelings. But have you not noticed that that's kind of how we work nowadays? It's by the feelings. So even here in the text, he points out this idea. Don't be, if you do this, you give opportunity to the devil. One of the most satanic things you and I can ever do. Get me. One of the most satanic things we could ever do is be unforgiving from the heart. You want to experience what it's like to be tempted by Satan and to be in the clutches and the grip of his hand? Be unforgiving from the heart. It's devilish. You are giving him a foothold and a keyhole into your life. It's, it's as if you just left the keys in the car and said, take it. Go ahead. Take my soul here. Now keep looking at this. He says this. Giving this put on, put off process of change. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So he even gives this example of, he's given us examples of biblical change. He did it relying to lying. Like you got to put off lying, got to start telling truth. Okay. You got to put off anger, and then you got to do verse 31. We'll put the put on for, for anger. He says here, the one who is stealing, he's got to do more than just stop stealing. Part of biblical change is he's got to work and he's got to give. He's got to do honest work with his hands. What about verse 29? Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion. So put off corrupt talk, put on Building up talk. By the way, he also says that it may give grace to the hearer and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know, looking at what it's leading up to, corrupt communication actually grieves the Holy Spirit of God. And how do we overcome a person, you know, how do we overcome this corrupt communication in our life? Well, we, we actually overcome it with actually building up and edifying, right? That's how we overcome it. The process of change, put off, put on, put off, put on. All the while in the background, there's the renewing of the mind, renewing of the mind. Now, look at verse 31. He gets to anger, the emotion of anger. Let all bitterness. I mean, have you ever, how do you know you're, but, you know, verse 31 is a manifestation of sinful anger. Verse 32 is, not feeling-based do, this is based on obedience to honoring God, this is what we're to do. Look what he says. So let all bitterness. You ever been to the point where you couldn't stand to even be around someone? You avoided them? Yeah, you're at bitterness. And wrath, that's exploding. This anger, it's this, you may not explode, but you'll try to kill them with ignoring them, minimizing them. 
clamor, you're yelling. You're trying to overpower them with your words, overpower them with your volume. Slander, that's from the Greek word that we get blasphemy. You're cutting down their character. Along with all malice, that's intent to do harm. These are the manifestations of sinful anger. The emotion of sinful anger in verse 31. Now, the interesting thing is this. There is no kind of idea of, well, I need to be motivated to do this. My emotions need to motivate me, right? No, our emotions alone should not motivate us nor be the central focus of our life. There's these, I've, I've sat with people and showed them this verse, and they'll go, oh, man, I feel verse 31. Yeah, that's me. Then I'll go, okay, brother, let's do verse 32. I don't feel like that right now. I just don't feel like it. You know, let me go pray about it, you know, see if can gin up the feeling. It's like, no, brother, his word has commanded it. That we are not allowed to look at life that way. Actually, I would say this. Actually, obey him, then watch him spiral up the emotion from it. So look in, look in verse 31. But here's what you do. Be kind one to another. There's someone that you're angry and bitter with. Be kind to him. Tender-hearted. Boy, that's an emotionally loaded word. You're, you're trying to actually be tender-hearted. You're trying to understand what's going on in their life. You're actually looking at it from their perspective. Not yours, but theirs. You're not focused on your own self. Then forgiving them as God in Christ forgave you. When you forgive someone from the heart, you're, what you're saying is, I'm taking them off my hook. I'm put them in, putting them on God's hook. I'm no longer going to bring up what they've done to me. I'm not going to stew over it in my mind. I'm not going to replay it. I'm not going to replay it to others. I'm not even going to replay it to that person unless I have to initially do that for reconciliation forgiveness. I am not, I am choosing instead to put my thoughts on God's thoughts regarding this. That's what happens when we forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. The motivation for that is not our feelings. Look at it. Forgiving one another as your feelings want you to. Is that what this text says? So is the standard for even this emotion of anger, of fighting it, of putting off the unrighteous in verse 31 and putting on the righteous, is there anything about us feeling like it? No. Forgive as God in Christ forgave you. The beauty of being a follower of Jesus. All these benefits. If you didn't know it when you came to Christ, I didn't know this when I came to Christ at 16. This is just a wonderful benefit that I didn't know existed. I can actually forgive anybody of anything they've ever done against me. So get this. There is nothing. Everybody look at your neighbor and say nothing. Nothing that a family member, that your spouse, that your kids, that your co-worker has done to any of us that based on the shed blood of Christ cannot be forgiven. And it is not according to our feelings if we feel like forgiving. It's according to his command based on the generousness of the life, death, burial, resurrection of his grace. We get it? That's why we can say our emotions alone should not motivate us nor be the central focus of our life. Number 12. We are to be responsible to and by the way, you might be thinking like, Nick, you ain't even got 12 through 15 yet. Are you kidding me? In my notes, this one went actually pretty quick. Whether you believe it or not, it did. 
No evidence, yeah. No evidence, you know. What's in the sausage? No one knows. You weren't there, okay? We are responsible to and must be obedient to God no matter how we feel. I already made that kind of point to you. All right? It's not based on feeling. You remember last week when we visited Genesis 4? Remember Cain and Abel? Remember Cain's disobeying God? God warns him. Satan's crouching at the door. Why is your face fallen if you'd obey me? Right? He warned him. He warned him. You're giving in to your feelings. Satan wants you. And he kept giving in to his feelings. And he spiraled down the hill. No matter how we feel, we must be obedient to God no matter how. In that, the text of our anger. Let's just all admit. Can we all admit the emotion that we most struggle with is anger? Right? Am I the only one? Okay. All right. And we see nothing in here of even our text that would lead us to believe that it's a matter, our obedience is a matter of feeling. It's not. It's a matter of worship. That's why way ahead of time we have to be working on those tires of worship. Way ahead of time. Not when it comes. You won't be ready. You've got to work on this way ahead of time. Number 13. The summary of the Christian life is to love God and love neighbor. Look in Matthew 22 as we end our message here today. We'll end it with Matthew 22. The summary of the Christian life is to love God and love neighbor. In Matthew 22, you see, this is a very, the great commandment. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Notice this, to love the Lord, it starts with a very inward motivation. It's a worship issue. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the summary of the Christian life, to love God this way. And then verse 38, this is the first and great commandment. Then look at verse 39. The second is it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So the, the, all of life is about, do I love God with everything I got from my soul all the way to the outside? And the natural outflow of that is, I will love my neighbor as myself. How do I love myself? Well, that's easy because we all are prone to selfishness. And so just the way I want to put myself first in life, I'll start putting others first in life. Husbands, how do you love your wife well? That's easy. How do you love yourself? Like, how do you, how do you exalt and do whatever you want that makes you happy? We'll flip that around and just point that towards her. But that's actually all of life, loving our neighbor. So here's the interesting thing. If this is the, the focus of our life, to love God with everything, we're cultivating that. It will be the natural outflow will be we'll love our neighbor, which leads us to number 14. God is concerned with our hearts. We see it clearly. Part of loving God is our hearts. It'll lead us to number 15. When our focus is on loving God and loving neighbor and our hearts are right before God, we can deal with our emotions in a God-honoring way. We are sinners we are deceived. Our hearts are deceived. But I will tell you this. We do have a redeemed, renewed heart. We can keep renewing that heart. We can, we're told to love the Lord with all of our heart, which means this. Yeah, we should always be aware of our depravity. But I can also tell you this. If we are loving God with everything we have, 
I'm talking the totality of our immaterial person with all our spirit, soul, heart, mind, strength, whatever words you want to use, everything you've got. We're giving them all of our heart. Here's what happened. When, when emotions hit our life, we can be confident that actually what we're displaying is God-honoring. So that's really the deal. The more we love God with everything, the more we'll actually be able to put emotions on display in a God-honoring way, and we can be confident in it. And, and here's, the, here's a great indicator test. When I lose control of emotions, here's the simple thing that's going on. I'm not loving God and loving others. When I lose control of my emotions, what I'm actually doing is just loving myself. When I'm actually loving God and loving others, I handle the emotions of life in an appropriate way. Instead of doing sinful anger in Ephesians 4.31, I start immediately practicing because remember, we're loving God from the heart. I start putting on Ephesians 4.32. Y'all, y'all get that? Let's do this. Let's stand to our feet and have a time of singing back to the Lord, enjoying Him. Man, y'all been so great today. Y'all did a... Y'all got two messages in, so, man, two messages. You got pre-conference, you got this. Man, praise the Lord for y'all. You ought to have a really good edified time today, right? So I just look forward to hearing it. Can we go to the Lord? Your people need you. Wow, do we need you. Would you help us in this moment as we sing back to you and enjoy you? That's what we've got to do. We've got to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. And then the emotions of our life will be appropriate. They'll be appropriate towards our neighbor. That's our husbands, our wives, our kids, our real literal neighbors, our body, people we work with, everywhere we're at. We ask for your help, for your glory. And God's people said...